0: hold on i totally just remembered you got stabbed in the face in oakland right
1: i did i got stabbed in the face on christmas eve in oakland it's my (laughs) my street cred can
0: can we can we have that story on this
2: podcast Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of the uns.com. Some people have noticed that my intros have been more bleak than usual. I'm starting Lexapro today, so let's see if these bad boys get a bit sunnier. Today's guest is one of my favorite people on the planet. She's a rapper, producer, and she plays the guitar. What more do you need? Alicia is incredibly prolific. She's been an educator and advocate for other artists, and she likes my cooking, which, you know, not a lot of people do, so she wins. Most recently, she and a small team built a studio in Panama and created an entire album filled with tons of collaborations called Songs from the Sweatshed that was recorded in part at Panama's tribal gathering. She's really amazing, and she's got a track on collaborative endeavors as well with Bill called Quixotically Speaking, which is available on the Mr. Bill Bandcamp page. Hint, hint for fee-free day coming up. Speaking of getting money to do fun things so we can continue to do fun things, Mr. Bill has a Patreon. Had I mentioned that before? Fans get early access to episodes, bonus content, secret merch bundles, Discord roles and more. It also ensures that we're able to keep doing this thing. Every little bit helps and we're so thankful to all the fans who do support the podcast. Visit patreoncom Bill's tunes to subscribe. Finally, head over to Bill's tunes.com to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials. It's really a one-stop shop for those learning how to get good at the whole music production thing. Okay, Let's cut the shit and get right to Bill's chat with Alicia.
0: Sick. All right. Yeah, I'm recording on my end too. Well, fuck yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing the podcast.
1: Yeah, super stoked to be here. I enjoy listening to it.
0: Oh, nice. Which ones have you listened to?
1: Oh man, it's a few over over time. Um, I cannot uh, right now. You're putting me on the spot, but um, maybe maybe in the last few weeks I listened to one or two, and I listened to the you know the big controversial one about people in the music industry being jerks let's just say so
0: oh yeah the the bass nectar one yeah that one yeah yeah that one stirred up a bit of controversy for sure rightly so I mean (laughs) I think um, yeah that situation was one that needed to be talked about what's what's your whole uh, take on that did you know Lauren personally or
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, I'm kind of in, uh, I guess a similar position to Dylan, but a little bit more distant, you know, and from my point of view, I guess I've just have this whole perspective of the whole, like being a woman in the music industry and having weird discrimination. So I think that as a target, I've always been, I don't want to say exempt, but because people sort of see me as this, Oh, well, she's, she's a producer herself. They're not really trying to act that way towards me. Like, and I'm also not 17 or 18. So I think that I've been treated quite a lot differently and then also with Lauren you know he was he was never really trying to collaborate with me so I didn't experience that exploitation as well he he would always act like he wanted to on the days of the show and then completely ignore me the rest of the year so my only perspective is okay well he's a really nice person in certain situations but outside of those situations I have absolutely no clue so
0: yeah Um, yeah I don't know I feel like being 17 was a big component of being hit on by Lauren, it seems like.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think for a lot of DJs and that, that always really strikes me as so bizarre, especially being in the industry and being friends with guys and going, you know, the funny thing is, is you've got women throwing yourself at you of, of all ages, like maybe is it that hard to just ID them or just pick the ones that are slightly over 18, you know, it could save you a lot of trouble. That's just my opinion, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Right.
0: Man, my cat will not leave me alone right now. I'm trying to like shoo her so she doesn't keep jumping up on me. And she's like, I'm putting my hand out to try and like put a barrier between her jumping path onto my lap. And she's just like sidestepping it constantly, trying to get around the, the hand to, to jump on me.
1: Mm-hmm. Aww. She'll stop I miss doing my cat. My cat is no more.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Chemistry.
1: Yeah. She, had, she finally, uh, had to go, but you know, she was 20, which is like 90 in cat years, I guess, or human years. I mean, so
0: crazy. Um, you said you're in Texas right now, right?
1: Florida, pretty much the same difference, unfortunately. Yeah, I will be back in Colorado really soon, actually, next week. I'm looking forward to it, but I've been on a wild pandemic visa journey, which has been pretty crazy, you know. Oh, you're Um,
0: renewing your visa during the pandemic?
1: No, so basically, when I went to go teach in Spain, uh, the visa, for various reasons, which I won't get into, just took a long time and never really got resolved, and there were a lot of mistakes made, including trying to finish it in Spain, and Spain is a beautiful country, but they still kind of operate on pen and paper and index cards and post-it notes. So trying to actually get it dealt with there was basically dealing with this antiquated system. And I don't think they actually understood what my job was. So I had some weird rejections that didn't make any sense. And then appeals that I was waiting for. So when COVID hit, I was in this limbo position and they said to me, you know, you should just go back to the U.S. because if you were to get sick or if anything was to happen, you have no status here. You're not an immigrant. you're, You're nothing. So. Go home. And the problem with that is, you know, of the trees has been renting my house since I've been gone. So I didn't want to come home and kick him out and, and, you know, not knowing what I was doing. So I've just been kind of doing a little a horrible tour of Airbnbs uh, and then finally ended up at a relative's place over here in Florida where we just kind of camp out until everything settled. And now finally Tyler just moved out and I'm about to go back to my own studio. And it's been over a year. I am losing it.
0: damn yeah we should unpack a bunch of that so um you taught in spain which i also did um for people listening the job that you took and the job that i also took at one once upon a time was um teaching at berkeley in valencia holy shit youtube get off me (laughs) um yeah yeah, she will not leave me alone today all right whatever you can sit on my life is your
1: cat's name youtube
0: (laughs) yeah so I, i i named her that because i was like um I wanted to, you know, wake up every day and be like, what's up, YouTube? <laughs> but um, I, I did it like one or two times and now that's the name she's stuck with forever. Amazing. Um, but yeah, anyway, so you, you were working at Berkeley in Valencia teaching the master's level sound design program there.
1: Yeah, right. it's, it's been actually, you know, that part of it was a super cool experience because being music technology and it's an ever evolving field. So you cannot really force the teacher to take on any sort of existing curriculum completely because technology is always changing, you know, like every six months to a year, there might be some new advancement that you need to work in. So the upside to that was I pretty much just got to do whatever I wanted. And it's just really interesting, even when I was sort of looking at old curriculums, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago, uh, Ben Cantil, the, the previous professor, he was teaching Zeta and it was all Zeta. And then, you know, of course, serum came around and now it's all serum. So it's definitely a great job to, I think, improve yourself as a producer because no matter how much you think you know you have to basically calibrate yourself for the smart ass in the back and you know be prepared for like well yeah I use a synth all the time but what does this knob do oh wait I've never used it (laughs) better figure that out and you know it definitely filled in some holes and also convinced me to explore like I really hated the FM8 before I started I won't lie um, because I hated the interface and I just you know I was spoiled with my other synths but having to sort of teach it and use it for the class forced me to get into it and now I love it so
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I found the same thing it's kind of like good having to stretch yourself a little bit in terms of um what you know because usually what you'll do right like you'll learn a synth or at least I will like serum or zebra or something like that and I'll learn what I need to learn to be able to do what I want to do which Mm -hmm. is just like make the music that I want to make um and I'll get to a point where I can do that. And then you sort of get like stuck in this comfortable spot where you're just like, all right, that's working. I'll just keep doing that, I guess, for a while. And exactly. You kind of get yeah. a little bit onto autopilot in the in your career and stuff like that. And I feel like teaching um, a master's level of sound design uh, definitely knocks you out of that because, yeah, it forces you to have, to have to learn new stuff all the time, which is cool. And I also, what I really liked about being there <laughs> Was that everyone was just super good at music because it was obviously Berkeley.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so for me, the the main thing I really enjoyed about being there was just being around tons of people who knew like you know, classical music theory and jazz.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's a really interesting approach too. like in a different way. Um, For one, I think that our entire society, right, is about being fast, you know, every, every, even the tutorials, it's like how to do this, how to make something like this in in this amount of time here, let me go really quick. And sometimes, yeah, you go into autopilot because you're just trying to be efficient. And so sometimes I would, you know, have my way of working with serum where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put this filter on and I'm just going to write this here because I know that this works well. And then I'm going to do this. And it was always like the time is ticking in between the tour dates. And so, you know, one thing that happened, and while I was there it was just like well I'm not flying out every weekend. And I have to teach like three hours about this synth. So I'm just going to really like mess around and, and try different things and route this to this other random thing that I would have never done. And there's just so much beauty to be found there. And then the other thing is, is, you know, I come from a musical theory background, like my parents um, were really into classical and world music. And my cousin is like the principal clarinetist in the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. So there's always been a lot of very rigid music theory. And I was put into piano lessons, you know, Asian mom and all that until I was like 12 and then was like, I want to play the bass guitar and classical music sucks. And then when I got to be 18 and that was when I was going to audio school and producing, I went, wow, this is really useful. So I'm kind of like one foot on either side of the line. Like I've, I have this really technical background in producing and I forgot a lot of music theory, but at the same time, I also, you know, I have perfect pitch and I just play things out on the keyboard. So the nice thing about Berkeley was I was like, "I, I actually have a cool role that I can fill where I can communicate technical stuff to musical people. And I think that's a challenge within itself because it's usually two camps that you have, you know, you have like the computer engineers or people that mess around with software that get into mucking with production and they go, wow, this gives me a musical outlet. And then you have the musical people going, wow, I can actually make this whole album by myself. So I sort of feel like I'm like the the mediator to kind of bring those two worlds together, which is really fun.
0: Yeah. Did you find um, like one experience I had there <clears throat> was when I was teaching this like really technical stuff every day was that I feel like I just got way better at expressing myself, uh, like even emotionally to other people as well, because um, like you're sitting in this classroom all day, right? Trying to just explain the most insanely abstract, like crazy stuff to, to, to a bunch of people who don't know it or and, and you have to try and make them understand it. So you need to get really good at articulating yourself with these really complicated ideas, and then I find um, like that skill of being able to articulate a really abstract and complicated thing, such as you know your emotions, are kind of like that as well, um, sort of translated into like having conversations with my girlfriend at the time and stuff like that.
1: That's so funny. And I think that that shows like, it's like when we've worked together, I have this experience where it's almost like, yeah, you're like the the technical person expressing emotions. And I'm like the musical person trying to fit within all these things. Because for me, I've always been such a people person, you know, like running all these internet communities that I feel like maybe I've actually gotten more logical because of it. You know, I'm the type of person that will come in and crack jokes and talk about how I may feel about stuff. And, you know, I'll describe FM synthesis as cold or icy or all these other descriptive, non-technical things. And with this, I was like, okay, I, there's these things that I actually need to make sure that I communicate in between cracking my jokes and being <laughs> me. So yeah, I think it's the it's balance is is sort of like the key word maybe for what we both experienced.
0: Right. Did you, um, <clears throat> which units were you teaching? You, you were probably doing like the more advanced sound design class and then kind of like the beginner Ableton class, right?
1: Yeah, so the way that the curriculum generally works is at the beginning of the year, they everybody takes this Ableton 101 course. Um, and then there's an undergraduate version as well for the visiting uh, students from Berkeley, Boston. And then in the spring, I also would teach that class to other departments who were interested, but then all the people who took Ableton 101 would go into sound design. However, when I first got there, I was kind of dealing with this sort of switchover that's kind of been happening for the last few years. Like I think when uh, Ben started the program at Berkeley seven or eight years ago, not a lot of people came in, like there wasn't as many YouTube tutorials or anything. So a lot of people just came in knowing absolutely nothing. But at this point, as you and I both know, like a lot of people just watch stuff and learn on their own. So when I interviewed people coming in, at least a third of the students had been using Ableton for two years. So, and I think I asked you about it at the time and I was like, how do I teach? like an advanced course that doesn't include sound design and that's like a very mysterious zone because that's usually stage two and I ended up having to develop this Ableton class that was way more about creative prompting and I would do kind of funny stuff like after I got to know all the students and what kind of genres they like to make I would give them a project where everybody was forced to make something very very different so the experimental noise guy had to make a chain smokers type of track and <laughs> you know the pop girl had to make like halftime shades type stuff and and actually, it turned out really well, because I think, again, like it forces you to just push yourself and give yourself this new limitation and something you don't usually do. Right. <clears throat>
0: Speaking about creative prompting, um, have you read Dennis DeSantis's book? Uh, I think it's just called Making Music.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't read the whole thing. It's been kind of one of those sort of manual things that I've just been consulting in parts. What do you think of it?
0: I, yeah, I haven't read the whole thing either. I started reading it the other day, and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's essentially for for anyone who hasn't read it, um, just like seventy or eighty examples of like where you might get stuck in the process, or where you might have trouble starting in the process, or where you might have trouble finishing, like finishing a song. And then he'll he'll be like, "All right, here's the problem," and then here's like maybe some solutions you could try. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it seems pretty well thought out. Uh, and yeah, I think what you're saying like treating it kind of like a manual might be the better way to go about it sort of like just a book that you would go to if you kind of stuck or something like that for an idea and perhaps like I mean that's kind of sounds like it would have been a good um sort of course book or something for what you were just talking about
1: yeah, no. And I mean, I've almost used it like, you know, um, Brian, Eno's oblique strategies. Um, that's, that's something I've always used those, those random cards that just give you these abstract ideas that you can build a creative prompt out of. I kind of almost look at it like that. Because for me, when I'm stuck, I'm not always stuck on a particular thing. Sometimes I'm just stuck, period. I don't even know why I'm stuck. So what I would do with that book is just randomly open it and just read whatever page, you know, I think sometimes the random information thing can be a good prompter as well.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, the Brian you know, one is sort of like more geared towards band stuff, though, right? It's kind of like, all right, now the singer is the drummer, and the drummer is the vocalist, and like- sometimes.
1: But some of it is just super random. Like, Im- I don't know. I'm just making this up. But like, imagine th- the walls are made of cardboard, or you know, or a thing is now a place, or just, some of them are just super abstract. So I definitely find that if nothing else, I'll just be like what does that even mean? (laughs) That'll (laughs) kind of get me to another spot.
0: Yeah. Just like kind of forces you to start thinking.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Um, So the, so the entire time you were in Spain, you didn't have a visa.
1: No. And that was kind of the real bummer is because part of the reason I wanted to go to Europe was to travel. But after my 90 days as a tourist was up, I was in this weird gray zone where I was totally allowed to be in Spain still because I was waiting for a resolution. But I, if I were to leave Spain, I was not technically allowed to be in the rest of the EU and I could have gotten kicked out and then I would have had to wait outside Europe. So the only place that I got to go was Andorra, which is a great little technicality of a, I don't even think it's, is it a country? It's a principality. There's two two princes. It sounds like this very medieval thing and it's just between France and Spain and they have a border, but it's not like a real border. So I went there for one weekend and that was my little, that was the extent of my adventures, but I will be going back in January. And this time I actually already have, I finally have my visa. So I'm expecting quite a different experience this time.
0: Yeah. Nice. Speaking of principalities, um, did you know, uh, a prince essentially gave live nation 500 million dollars to keep being live nation
1: i did not which prince
0: uh the one from saudi arabia basically so like um so pretty much what happened was like uh you know covid hit and i guess everything was like fucked up because of it and you know people couldn't do shows all the agents were losing money and essentially i guess this prince from Saudi Arabia was like, no, EDM can't and <laughs> gave, gave Live Nation $500 million.
1: That's so funny because I've actually been spending a lot of time and energy thinking about that, the Middle East because, um, you know, I had some students from there and then Berkeley is actually opening a, like Dubai, Berkeley or or somewhere, I you know, don't quote me on that, somewhere in the Middle East. And I, what I found out is that there's a real cultural drive by the government and I guess also by individuals to to develop that more over there. Like um, <clears throat> I heard they were having a lot of workshops, you know, somebody actually talked to me about coming over and teaching workshops in production at some point. And, you know, one of my students that just graduated, he's from Jordan and he's opening a new studio. And he's saying that like, you know, a lot of Netflix and type of stuff is now sort of gravitating around that area. And pretty much it's, it's pop in there from what I hear.
0: Huh? Yeah. I know a few people from there. There's a guy called um, Sultan from Iran who does like incredible dubstep stuff.
1: Oh, he's great. I love his samples and such.
0: Yeah, he also does that crazy shit where he like draws his name and stuff in the waveform of the, of the <laughs> wave file and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's awesome. And I mean, I, I love Middle Eastern melodies and instruments and stuff. Like whenever I'm going to the contact library for inspiration, I, I would say like a good, you know, at least a third of the time, it's probably some kind of Middle Eastern instrument. I love it.
0: Right. Speaking of Middle Eastern shit, I don't know, for whatever reason, that just reminded me of the California Wook scene Um, (laughs) because they seem to be super into that shit as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about Reunite because that was a thing that happened that I saw you called some people out on.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it was honestly, I've now realized that if I want to promote my music, I should just get angry instead, because I think I've headlined at least two EDM drama blogs. I don't know. It's a tough thing because we're in such a weird space where all these hippies and for the last I don't know, I've been in the festival scene for such a long time. I mean, before I did the weird bass music, I did drum and bass and there were still renegade parties and the same kind of people there. And they were always just like one love, open mind. And now they've all just been co-opted into some weird conspiracy thing. And like, no one believes in science anymore. And listen, I'm not like on board being spoon-fed everything that the media is telling me either, but I love science. Like I had a microscope when I was a kid and I read like nerdy books about, I just, when I was a kid, like the discovery of like the atom and, and Marie Curie and like all that stuff. And, and so it's just crazy to me. Like, yeah, I get it. Hippies believe in all this natural stuff, but at the same time, it just seems so discordant with like all the other thinly veiled anti-Semitic conspiracies that are taking shape as this is our salvation is like, I'm in on this global secret of whatever. And I think that reunite comes from that because a lot of the people I saw involved in that are just of that philosophy. Like I can justify this to myself because COVID is a hoax perpetuated by the cabal. And yeah, so I mean, I don't know. And, and I, to, you know, I can't speak freely on a lot of political things because I'm, you know, not a U.S. citizen. I'm a permanent resident. And for people who take for granted living in America, just know that when, you know, as you probably know this too, when you get a green card or anything, you are advised to go and scrub the last five years of your social media. Um, doesn't matter what you said, you're just supposed to delete anything political. So most of the time, um, as much as I is not in my character, I'm pretty silent about stuff. But in this case I'm just going okay to me this is not even a political issue anymore this is like a caring for other human beings and being preventative and following like the world science experiment that's literally going on in front of our faces to you know and to have this like selfish party and then they're trying to deny that they were lying and pretending to be a protest You know, it's just crazy. Like that was the first thing that made me angry was saying, oh, like they were allowed to stay open because they said they were like a BLM protest, which is just like, this is so offensive. And then of course they hit back and said, oh no, it was the Bureau of Land Management and like they're doing all these gymnastics to just get themselves out of that hole. And yet there's all these text messages and screenshots coming up of, all right, everybody make sure to bring a protest sign in case the cops show up because if the cops show up, we're going to need to act like we're a protest okay so
0: how is partying that important that you like have to go to this much effort to to make one happen
1: and I, I think it makes no sense to people like us because we have these passions, but it's it sucks. But for some people, partying is like a substitute. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I love like a good dance floor and a good artist, of course. That's like part of the reason I got into it. But you, I feel like you have to develop some other branch of related, you know, like whatever, like make crystal wraps or paint or something or like a lot of people do. But I think a lot of the majority of these people, they just crave being noticed and and you know i hate getting ugly here a lot of the people i saw on that list are like hollywood wannabe actor trust fund type of people where it's just like "Ah, i don't really need to develop a passion my passion is going out and wearing like three thousand dollar steampunk outfits and showing them to people (laughs) and i can't show anyone my outfits right now god what do i do
0: (laughs) you think that's why why people are so pissed about not being able to go out
1: yeah. I mean, cause that's the thing is ultimately like, yeah, of course we miss human connection and, and stuff. But I think that anyone who truly feels connected to humans wants them to be well. And like, also regardless of what you think, the reality is, is the event industry is like basically annihilated and it's not going to come back until we all like deal with it for a little while. So every, every step that these people take towards, like, I just need a, like, I saw like a, a you know, as Zach Jaffe was posting uh, screen captures of people's Instagram and I saw the organizers giving this speech, like we just needed this release from our bodies. Was, okay. Well, I'm sure some other people will be released from their bodies, like into the grave because of like what you're doing. And I'm sure that you're just going to push back when parties will happen again. You know, and to me, it's like my friends and probably your friends, too, like in New Zealand who are actually like allowed to have parties again and are doing things. And, you know, they have a few cases, but nowhere near what's going on. And I just don't understand how you can see that happening in front of us and see, hey, like the whole world is having a science experiment and each country is doing slightly different things. And this thing is working and this thing is not and how you can just ignore that and blame it on a cabal? Like I, I, really think the attention seeking is way more of a motivation than any sort of BS. Like connecting with people in the city. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I think it's crazy that people look at COVID as a, um, as a political issue. It, it's like, obviously, a public health issue. I, I don't see how people, like, where are people bending it into thinking that it's a political issue? I don't really understand that.
1: Well I mean I think that to be fair like in America the there it is being politicized but it's just it's hard I think for us as you know you, you being Australian and me being Canadian and I think we both just grew up in countries that don't view themselves as the center of the world and that that maybe at least, it doesn't make me or you better than them, but it just makes us more used to viewing the rest of the world as sort of an equal or open balance in what's going on. Whereas in America, it's just like, well, you know, and I have people close to me in my life that I'm arguing with this. And it's quite painful. It's just like, well, it's a political issue. I'm going, well, yes, it's a political issue in the U S but that it's a worldwide issue beyond that. Can we, can we look beyond the U S for a second? I realize that it's hammered down your throat. So I think that, yeah, it's just, you know, we take for granted, like, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in school and we learned history, Oh sure. Canada has like a blip of like fur traders and, you know, we did some heinous things to indigenous people as well, but we don't have a lot of stuff on our own. And so we focus on the world. We learn a little bit about America, a little bit about the Brits and like Japanese and other countries. And I, I think in the US, a lot of school is just like, America did this and this state did this. And to be fair, there's a lot more history. But I think that the sacrifice is is that it becomes very myopic and what people learn and what they think the world is.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think um, partially the reason why America is kind of losing at uh, beating COVID is just because of this whole like underlying uh philosophy of america being the land of the free and whatnot and people are just like what you're gonna try and make me do a thing like wear a mask and you're gonna try and make me stay in my house and they're like this is martial law this is bullshit (laughs) and there's just like this huge revolt against it because of this like land of the free place of opportunity kind of mindset
1: Yeah, and it's just so stupid because, like, you know, they have lots of rules that we just follow. Like, you have to wear pants when you go inside a grocery store. You cannot piss in the frozen food. But, like, nobody's complaining that that's violating their freedom. You know, they just pee somewhere else.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, I do think, though, that the U.S. is a little bit unique from Australia and Canada in the sense that it is kind of a superpower. Like, for starters, um, all money in the world is basically measured against the U.S. dollar Mm -hmm. Um, and then secondly the, the U.S. army is just so much more insanely powerful than any other army.
1: Sure and pop culture and Hollywood I mean everything like you know this if you make a movie in the U.S. or you make an album in the U.S. it's just gonna go further and it's gonna be known more and measured up against absolutely I mean that's why we're both living here right it's just a it's more of a center for ability to do creative things as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It truly is the land of opportunity, I feel like, but also wear a fucking mask and stay inside. (laughs) Uh Yeah. I I think, um, this is like one occasion where people just need to stop thinking about their freedom as much and just be like, all right, here's what I kind of hope or wished. And this is like a unpopular opinion, but at, at times like this, I kind of feel like there's some benefit to a dictatorship right because then you can just be like all right everyone stay in their house we'll bring you rice for two (laughs) weeks or three weeks and then the whole problem would be solved in like a matter of less than a month
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is we get painted like there's such a crazy perception of what socialism is. And like in the last few weeks, not just for this reunite thing, but also with this reunite thing, I've been called like a communist, a Marxist, like Fidel Castro. Like, it's just crazy how it just goes from zero to, to like regime really quick and I'm just like have you ever been to Canada like does it look to you like we all just like live on the streets just giving away the clothes off our body it's it's not like that for the most part
0: right um do you miss living in Canada
1: I miss some things about it. And, you know, it's interesting because my own, my own views are, are sort of balanced, I think, because I've lived in both places where like, I totally see the value of like less regulation and more options and things like that as well. You know, um, and part of it, like for myself, I have like a long-term medical condition, autoimmune disorder, where I have to take meds. And in Canada, I had very little choice as to which medication I could take because the government only approves one of them. And so that's it. That's the end your story. And I used to have to actually order them from the States in like sample sizes. I felt like I was doing something very wrong. And by the way, it was not wrong. It was legal. It was just a crappy roundabout way to do it. And then as soon as I moved to the U.S., I actually, you know, had the choice. I was like, which, okay, here's your tests. And, oh, you want to do more tests? You can do more tests. So uh, I've, I miss a lot of things about it. And, of course, I have this utopian vision of, like, wouldn't it be nice if we could just sort of meet halfway and we could, like, take the best parts of both systems? And that's part of the reason I moved to Colorado is I ch- actually really feel like Colorado is this weird little oasis of kind of Canada and the U.S. meeting And, you know, it has its problems, but there's a little bit of a like libertarian cowboys versus the socialist hippies. And somehow it sort of mashes together to make something that's fairly reasonable.
0: Yeah, I think Colorado is a really special place. I feel like a lot of people who haven't spent time there don't really get it. Um, But I feel like once you spend, you kind of need to spend like, I don't know, probably like a month there, I would say, to, to really understand and like get into the get into the city and and the vibe about how how denver and and colorado in general operates but yeah it is this weird mash of culture that's kind of very strange but also feels it's not i don't know like for instance san francisco is great i love it but it's super super left-leaning and everyone is just hyper intelligent techies basically right Mm -hmm. so which is cool i mean that's great it's a good vibe um for me it's you know super conducive to my worldview and and all of that sort of stuff but um Yeah, Denver, it feels in some ways a little more real because you get sort of both sides of it. You get that the left-leaning, you know, creative type people and techies, I guess, if you're in Boulder. Um, And then you get, yeah, these sort of like uh, right-wing cowboys and stuff as well. But then you also have this just insane music scene and culture, uh, like arts culture scene and stuff. And yeah, it's a really interesting place.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot more moderate people, which is like this endangered species now, right? Is like, according to the news and everything, it's like, we're all either on this side or we're on the other side. But one of the things I found in Colorado is you have a lot of people where it's like kind of that chill attitude of the Midwest, but without the kind of I don't want to say, you know don't want to offend anyone, but like rural sort of ignorance. Like people are very educated, but they're just like, I'm just chill. Like I'm just here to snowboard and, you know, do all my, like people are more active too because, you know, you can't really be, it, it's much harder to be sort of out of shape and live in Denver because of the altitude and because of all the other things. So I think that being physically active and just having more stuff to do with yourself, all of this contributes to this more like, hey, you know, I can listen to other views and things are more chill. And even when I see people fighting on my friends list in denver it's so much more a mellow of a level than like you said like people in san francisco what they would say or people in some other region
0: yeah people here are definitely like very politically active i've noticed but it's good i mean uh, since living here i've I've probably become slightly more politically aware than i than i was in the entire five years that i lived in denver because yeah people there just don't really give a shit Mm -hmm. Um, but also another thing i've found is that I've also become more physically active living in California. And I don't know if that is, um, you know, it could be a, for a bunch of reasons, uh, But yeah, I found I've been going hiking way more and camping and stuff, and then also uh, riding my mountain bike a lot more and stuff like that. And maybe that's just because of COVID too. Like I just have more time because I'm not touring.
1: I think so because Denver and Colorado are definitely super active places and there's a lot of stuff that you can reach really quickly. And I actually found with California, I did less because I didn't have a car. And so it was hard to just, you know, get anywhere far out of the city for for me because of that. So
0: yeah um when you lived in uh california where, where did you live
1: uh, i lived in san francisco and i lived in oakland actually for a little bit um and i was right during the occupy oakland in 2012 so it definitely was really intense like there was like a neighborhood curfew and there was riots and you know stuff that's going on like right now oh. but but yeah i lived in sf too. so that's
0: hold on i totally just remembered You got stabbed in the face in Oakland, right?
1: I did. I got stabbed in the face on Christmas Eve in Oakland. (laughs) It's my my street cred. (laughs) Can, can
0: Can we have that story on this podcast?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really uh, it sounds much cooler than it was. Like it was really just a it, random It doesn't it was one, sound cool. Well, you know.
2: horrible.
1: <laughs> my it was one of those things that your mother would fr- like or anyone's mother would just freak out about and you're like, "Mom, that never happens." But it did, you know. Essentially, I was walking in the street um on Christmas Eve. I uh, didn't there was there's some stuff going on. Um my boyfriend and I at the time were sort of breaking up and we canceled our trip to go back, so we were just kind of like, "Let's just go out." To to eat and just, you know, just be friends and whatever. And we're just walking down the street and some random crazy-ish homeless guy, I, I assume anyways, he just walks up to me. He's like, yo, you got a dollar, man? And, you know, I was just like, no, sorry, I don't have anything. He's like, all right. And he literally just brings his hand up and just slices me across the side of the head and just keeps walking. It was the most insane thing. And they caught him because he was literally just sauntering down the street a couple blocks away. Um, like was, who, who caught him? The police. The police. Because like you he, caught, he, so
0: you, as soon as this happened, you called the police.
1: So as soon as this happened, it was very dramatic because, you know, he cut me kind of right across the temple. So there's like a vein there. And so it was just, it was bleeding, like gushing, like, uh, I don't know, evil dead style, you know, the blood is just like out of my face. So I, the only thing open right around me was a jack-in-the-box. And it was not the greatest neighborhood that we were walking through. And I just walk into this jack-in-the-box like, i but so then that you know somebody called the police and they came pretty quickly because again it was not a nice neighborhood in oakland and then they just there was a a jewish kid on the bike because you know it's christmas eve so who else is out and about and he just rides down the street with the cops and points out the guy and because he got there right right when it happened and that was it they caught him and He went to court and, you know, I honestly testified on the fact that I thought he was insane because it definitely didn't seem like there was any other motivation for that.
0: Right. So um, given that you testified that he was insane, what was the repercussion for him and, and what was the sort of recuperation for you?
1: I think, I mean, I didn't really ask for anything. I'm a Canadian, you know, we just, we just say sorry, or we ask for sorry, (laughs) but I think, I think he might've just gone to one of like, like a mental facility instead of being locked up in prison. And, You know that kind of goes back to like i strongly do not believe that the current prison system is particularly rehabilitative and especially if you're a crazy dude like what is what is going to be the benefit to me of some crazy dude getting beaten up and locked up and dealing with that like he he needs mental help and again i'm canadian we like to help people we want them to have the help they needed i mean for me it was just a little traumatic like you know obviously i didn't enjoy walking alone so much anymore and all that stuff but and i I had left oakland and i was kind of already thinking about doing so but it was sort of sealed the deal for me you know
0: right yeah oakland is a it's got a sketchy vibe to it but it also has like a more arts heavy vibe to it i feel like than san francisco just because i feel like san francisco is kind of expensive so it's not a lot of artists living here really they're more 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 of the arts or at least musicians, or at least electronic musicians, the ones that I know, mostly live in Oakland. It's like mostly the, the wormhole crew and stuff like that.
1: It's like, all you can kind of afford as well. And the crazy thing about that, though, is just I'd never seen or I'd never known so many people that had experienced insane amounts of violence as just living in Oakland and having friends there. Like it was a very normal thing to say, oh, yeah, this one time I got pistol whipped and then like jacked with a knife or had a gun pointed to my forehead when I was biking down the street, especially being again, being Canadian and just like not experiencing that to kind of be like living in California and just being like, yeah, the other day this happened to me. And I'm just like, What? I've never met anybody. And then suddenly everybody had had a story like that.
0: Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough since living in America to not have come, come, come across any of those issues. And before I moved to America, I mean, I was, I didn't, well, not obviously, but I didn't have any of those issues in Australia either with like homeless people or, um, you know, violence on the street or anything like that, but definitely traveling around America a lot. um, <clears throat> Has sort of led me to believe or shown me that it, there's a lot of sketchy areas in America. Hey, like um, areas where you're just walking around just has kind of like a pretty scary vibe to it, where you think you know, <laughs> something bad's going to happen. And there's a, specifically a lot of those in Oakland for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, it seems like a movie, but it's very real. And I think that that's also contributing to people outside of the U S just not being able to grasp how it's in the situation that it's in. It's like, I really feel like it doesn't matter if you went to New York or LA or something for two weeks, like until you've actually lived here, you don't understand the reality of what a disparity there is between people and situations and all that.
0: Right. Um, so you said you're a permanent resident now of, uh, of America.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had my green card for a couple years. So, well, who knows where that'll take me? Cause I'm, you know, I'm going back to Spain and I'm, I think I'm going to be sort of um, bi-continental for a little bit and just hop back and forth. I really do miss my home. I do love living in Denver and I have a garden and there's a lot of things I've been missing, but you know, at this point it, it is pretty contentious to be here and I am sort of enjoying the escape, so to speak. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just going for a green card now. The process for me is just starting, which is honestly um, fucking expensive. It's like mm-hmm. close to 10 grand. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I don't know if this is like, I should have done this earlier, I feel like, because now with like Trump making it harder to get visas and all that sort of stuff is like, yeah, it seems it seems like I probably should have tried to go for a green card like a couple of years ago at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's more than I paid for sure but the whole process is kind of hilarious because i think for people like us where it's like i don't know about you but i think you're the same where it's like the social media like having to brag about yourself and having to be like listen to my shit has always been the most gross part i think of doing this and it's like a sacrifice that we make just to keep doing it and to keep sharing it but applying for a green card or any of those visas is like the biggest social media brag ever it's just to the government you know <laughs> like, yeah my sales to... charts
0: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you have to give them like letters uh not letters sorry um yeah you need to give them letters of recommendation from your friends basically being like this guy is cool and talented and then get them to sign it and stuff (laughs) and then you also have to um yeah post like like all the blog articles that have ever been written about you and like all of your accolades like every everything you've ever done that's like at all impressive essentially you need to prove to them that you're impressive and you'll be good for the economy essentially I think is what it comes down to
1: yeah. And I mean, I had to do that all over again to deal with the Spain thing. And that's how I finally got it. But it was just funny because my boss is like, could I get a letter proving that you, you know, run this discord? And I'm just thinking, it's just so funny because the infrastructure of the music industry is, is a lot different than a lot of other businesses. So it's like, okay, so my future hangs on a letter from like, you know, a 16 year old writing a blog in their mom's basement or <laughs> something like that.
0: Right. Um, Damn, yeah, we should talk about the, yeah, imagine trying to explain to the Spanish government what the EDM production Discord is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're like, so
0: it's kind of like the old IRC chat rooms, but it's mostly people from Reddit who used to be in this thing called EDM prod on Reddit, and now they're in Discord and they share samples and shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what I had to do, yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. Um yeah, we should we should talk about the EDM production Discord. So you, you've how did you end up modding that, by the way?
1: So, I mean, I've always been just super into connection. And I think from being a lonely child, like at the age of 10, um, the gifted school board suggested to my parents that I get involved in this early like bulletin board system. And this is, you know, showing my age or whatever, but this is like pre-internet, you know, oh, she can go talk to other gifted kids with no friends. And then I kind of learned through that, that I'm actually sometimes a lot more comfortable just typing to people. And I know that especially a lot of producers or people who like to be isolated by themselves on computers are the same way Um, and not only that but you know being in a chat on a computer is much less disruptive to your creative process than like a phone call or anything like that you know like I can be in the studio in the middle of working on a mix down and then I can hit bounce and maybe I've got a couple minutes and I can just pop in and say something whereas like if somebody calls me on the phone I'm like all right let me stop what I'm doing La la la. So I got into it because of that. And then, you know, in 2008, um, I was part of co-founding Glitch Hop Forum with um, D B and Glitchy and Scratchy. And that was such a big thing for so many people, because at the time there was not really a central place for experimental bass music. And, you know, Facebook was still only really for college students and, and whatnot. So we all got together. And the thing I like about these communities, right, is like with Facebook, it's just like, I call it Me Island. It's just like, hello, everybody. I have eaten this for breakfast and I think this today. But if you're in a chat room or a message board and you you go like that, you're just a cock and nobody wants to talk to you. Like, (laughs) it it kind of follows the same principles as a party or any kind of normal social gathering. Like, you have to engage with information or a question or something that requires community interaction. And so I loved that with Glitch Hop Forum. And then with Facebook and all that stuff, you know, Me Island kind of eclipsed these communities communities a lot. And I was just looking for the next thing. I like, I miss IRC and all this. I miss all, all of that. Where is it? And I was just looking at the EDM production Reddit and saw on the sidebar, oh, there's a discord. So I came in there and at the time there was a lot of like trolling children and whatnot. And I was kind of one of the only legit artists that was in there. So eventually somebody in in the discord. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, they ended up just kind of giving me the keys and it was a little bit of a, some might say a coup because like I said, it was a little bit trolly when I came in. And as soon as I actually got the ownership, I was like, all right, no more like random racist memes. And like, you know, we're going to, we're going to try and make this for the good of people because you know, it's what it's become now is a public place. It's partnered with discord and it's open to all ages. So as, as much as I'm like a about free speech there's also like okay if I have a 13 year old in here um, they probably don't yet understand the nuance of your meme so maybe you know and hate speech I just I'm not a fan of in any form anyways so over the last five years I kind of just cleaned it up and I got a lot of volunteers on board who believe that you know the same kind of things just making an equal place where people of all levels can talk about production and it's been really cool um, my co admin Admiral bumblebee he's um, mysterious I don't know know. know how old he is. He's definitely older than me, but he's just like comes from all sides micro technical and he constantly reviews different DAWs for like comparing their plugin latency or all these small micro features that most people don't even know. So we've got kind of a nice mom and dad vibe of like grumpy technical guy and emotional producer mom. And we kind of just, I'm pretty proud of what we created. You know, there's a lot of young people who just come in and older people too, from all over the world. And it doesn't matter if you just start, yesterday or if you're experienced, you know, I truly feel like sharing information is beneficial for everyone because, you know, like we were saying at the beginning, you always learn something by questioning your own methods or having to explain them. And sometimes somebody can just walk in that started using Ableton yesterday and they just did some weird thing on their own that you would have just never thought of.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, um, this idea that like say drum and bass producers kind of used to have back in the day or whatever, where they're like, never would share their secrets or anything like that it was kind of like super limiting for electronic music as a whole and I feel like this whole everyone sharing um all of their tricks and kind of open sourcing a lot of their things within their production process you know like giving away their samples giving away their presets giving away their intellectual property even like midi MIDI clips and stuff and uh, song ideas and letting people just remix their stems and all this kind of stuff has kind of Given way to electronic music becoming the biggest style of music in the world, pretty much at the moment. Um, same, same with tech. I mean, you know, the same thing happened with software it's techies just open sourced everything, put everything on GitHub, allowed all other techies to use anything that anyone else had created on GitHub, basically. So they could just keep sort of standing on the shoulders of each other to build these like really huge, impressive platforms. And now tech is like the biggest industry in the world as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's just like, it's the same thing. Many great minds or or fools or whatever, all kind of collaborating on something can make it way bigger than just a few gatekeepers. And that's actually, that's what pushed me away from drum and bass. You know, I was 12 years in drum and bass, diehard junglist for a long time. And I started messing around with making tracks and all these labels would be like, well, you should put a name and break in there. Just like, really? that's, that's what you want me to do. I just, and that being said, I think that mainstream electronic music has sort of come full circle and there is a lot more restrictions and formulas right now. And I, I find it very hard to deal with all these like SoundCloud channels and networks that are like, please make something exactly like this. But originally I think you're right. Like the way that it blew up was just having all these innovators and people sharing secrets. Like it, nobody's gonna do the same thing that you're. You know, you you know better than anyone else. You spend hours on the internet, and nobody has become you yet.
0: Right. I also don't think restriction in music is a bad thing, though. Like, you know, putting an arm and break or whatever—that's one thing, because that's just sort of paying homage to a long style of tracks that have all had arm and breaks in them. But I think restriction in music in general <clears throat> is what makes music music. Right. I mean, for starters, we put a lot of restriction on it anyway. Even if you like take away the genres. Um, because we can only hear so many hertz and you know, we only like certain time signatures and we don't really like you know, a bunch of other shit. Otherwise, it just becomes noise, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess people do that as well. Maybe that's why noise people think that their style is the ultimate style, because it's completely unrestricted. But even still, it's restricted, right? Because it's restricted by you know, our, our ability to perceive it and our ability, like whatever speakers you're outputting it out of, it's like band limited by the speaker's capability and stuff like that. Um, so I mean in one way or another it's always got restrictions on it I feel like we've, we just restrict music to the things that we kind of object, all agree just objectively to us sound like satisfying so I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing I've been trying to think about that more in music lately like more like songwriting stuff where I, I'll uh, try and figure out like how little I can do to a thing to make it really cool and then sort of just leave it and try not to overwork it, which is something I feel like I've been guilty of a lot in the past.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that generally there's a consensus when when I meet people who have been producing for a while that like people simplify as they get deeper. Like it's weird, like the more you know, the less you do. And it's almost like cooking, you know, a lot of the time you see all these fancy dishes, but what you keep hearing from chefs is like, oh, it's all about like really high quality ingredients. And when you have the high quality ingredients, you don't do much to them. You know, like in Spain, I would just get really good seafood and cook it with some olive oil really simply. And it would be delicious so i mean i think there's a place for a lot of things but yeah like you said just focusing on having really good elements and maybe limiting yourself uh keeps you away from that danger of just being that noodler that just does like loop over loop over loop and creates this chaos
0: but also i think like if you do something simply but you've put in the hours to actually be a super good producer you you, people can tell right like if you listen to matt zoe um, I was listening to him last night for instance which is why I mentioned him um, a lot of his music is super simple it's just you know there's a lot of like trance gate stuff over like house beats and, and stuff like that but you can just tell like how much time and effort he's put in to become the producer that he is and just how insanely detailed he could have made this if you wanted it's like you can tell how how good he is even though the thing he's, he's made is, is quite simple um, and I think that's kind of the, the ultimate shit is when you can tell how Like how technically impressive this thing could have been, but you can also kind of tell that the that the producer who made it restrained a lot.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's restraint is a big thing, and it's just like again, quality ingredients. If you're experienced, your ingredients, your elements will be of a higher quality, and it's just like, yeah, you don't need to do as many crazy things when you just have a really good sound.
0: You could kind of liken this to sushi, right? It's like you go and eat sashimi, and you're like, all right, this is pretty restrained food it's literally a piece of raw fish but i don't know some sashimi is a million times better than other sashimi for whatever reason whether it's been like cut a certain way or somebody has just like taken the time to select the right fish or like whatever
1: It's true, you know, and um, over the last few years, I think that's been my biggest sort of thing is I used to do the equivalent, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it because we all make mistakes. But, you know, like when you're younger and your mom says clean your room and you just like sweep everything under your bed and you're like, it's clean, (laughs) but there's still like a pile of dirt under your bed. So, you know, being a piano player and being kind of a free musician, I used to do that same thing where like I wouldn't necessarily clean up the edges of my midi notes. I would have things that overlapped and I wouldn't pay that much attention to things like like the release of my envelope. And then I think over the last five years, the biggest thing I learned was like, wow, sometimes literally just adjusting one knob, like the release knob on your envelope can change the entire mix and your, your whole song. And it's like, everything is such a m- important part of that. So I think that that's also helped me to be simpler. Cause I'm not just trying to s- cup sweep things under the bed anymore.
0: Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, especially in drum and bass, you you said you came from that world. You, you I don't feel like you can really be a slacker in drum and bass because of how fast it is. Um, yeah. You, especially with release times and stuff, you need to be super particular about them if the tempo is that fast. Um, I want to talk about Spain's food because you like touched on that for a minute. I was there for a while too, and I ate some fucking pretty amazing food. There was this market there. It was, I think, just called Old town market or the central
1: market. market, the big central one market. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I would just go there and buy like cheese and ham. And that is mostly what I would eat. It was fucking amazing.
1: Yeah. I lived 50 meters from the entrance. So it was tough to not go in there and it's, yeah, the food is really incredible. And it's, it's that same thing, you know, Spanish food among with French food is, is some of the most high cuisine quote unquote in the world. And a lot of the time it's just, it's simple. Like you can just get really good cured ham and really nice cheese and a fresh baguette. And it's just like, the best thing you know it doesn't need to be something crazy and the seafood for me that was like I love seafood but living in Denver you don't really get the best access to it so I was just going crazy with octopus and all sorts of weird animals that I'd never seen it was kind of I used to joke to people that the central market is if you wanted to go to the aquarium and you don't mind things being dead (laughs) you can just go there (laughs) so yeah that's I would just go there to look at all the different fish that I'd never seen it's amazing
0: Right. Speaking of French cuisine, um I was just typing there cuz I was looking up the Wikipedia page for foie gras. Um do you know how foie gras is made?
1: Yeah, it's horrible, right? It's torture. They just force feed the the poor little duck and <laughs>
0: Yeah, essentially they take a duck, they stretch its neck right out and they essentially put like a vivuzella down its neck and then fill the zella constantly with grains. Um so they're just force feeding this duck to the point where it gets really big and fat and disgusting and and it starts turning yellow because it's got fucking psoriasis and shit like that and then it's liver gets um i think psoriasis or whatever i don't know it's liver gets like in really inflamed because it's just so unhealthy and then they take that liver out and they eat it
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Cruel. Cool. Why did I say cool? Cruel. It's very (laughs) cruel. It's super cruel.
0: It's, It's banned from being made in many countries.
1: Yeah, that is awful. I mean, I try to not consume stuff like that on the regular. I mean, I, I'm such a cultural, I love food and I feel like food is part of what makes me explore a culture in a country. So I've definitely tried a lot of things, but in my regular life, you know, I try to, like in Denver, I actually have a, a beef farmer that's like, you know, grass fed and raises his animals with lots of space. And when I buy it from him, I'm supporting his family and not just like a giant, you know, factory farm producer so i think i try to be as ethical as i can in my life but i also tried to be a vegetarian for years and it doesn't quite work with my body chemistry and everything so i just do what i can
0: yeah um i'm kind of the same i mean i yeah foie gras i kind of draw the line there i probably wouldn't eat that just because it's yeah it's a little it's it's pretty cruel uh but i i don't have too much of a problem with eating ethically raised and killed meat. And also I I agree um, with my body as well. I feel like uh, my body seems to do better with animal proteins. And that makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because our bodies have pretty much all evolved to deal with animal proteins for millions of years. It's not like we were able to synthesize or millions, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, whatever. um yeah, our bodies were not like designed to to deal with like plant protein and shit like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure because we couldn't really get the protein out of plants. I'm pretty sure until well, recently. You can,
1: you can combine things, but yeah, it's like in order to combine those things, you have to have access to a global food distribution network. And there's kind of like an issue. I don't know if you ever watched The Good Place, which was like one of my favorite comedy shows. But, you know, in the premise, it's like everybody accumulates or loses points on all these complicated things that they do throughout life. And I liked that because it's sort of like you can close one door and open another with that sort of thing. Like you can say, okay, so I'm vegetarian and I'm eating this bean from this country and this thing from another country to complete my protein. But in order to do that, we had to truck all these vegetables across the world and burn lots of fuel. So there's, there's a lot of like sort of rabbit holes that you can fall down as to ethics. And I think I, I, I really support local. I'm when I'm at home, I have my own garden and grow my own food. And, you know, there's a lot more nutrients in picking a plant right off the stem instead of waiting for it to be shipped around the world for you as well. So I kind of think, you know, ethical, local, going back to the small business. I'm I'm kind of like a village mentality type of person, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought about that. Like, yeah, if you want to, you know, eat a garbanzo bean along with like a, you know, some kind of fruit that grows only native to Mexico or something like that and so on and so forth. Um Yeah, you're right. It probably is actually equally as unethical based on the amount of fuel that that it took to get all of those things around Uh, to some degree. I mean, who knows? Because obviously factory farming is like massively problematic as well.
1: Again, it's like checks and balances. It's just it's hard to keep track of. I just try to be a good person. That's that's all I can do.
0: Yeah, that's true. Speaking of which, um, it's probably a good spot to end on you being a good person
1: whether I am or not.
0: <laughs> oh, no, like I, you obviously are. <laughs> and I'm just saying that's probably a good place to end the podcast because we've been talking for like an hour.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks. I'm glad you think so.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, where can people find all of your stuff and where's the best place for them to, to go and hang out with you? Probably the EDM Discord is one place, but um, uh, yeah, where, 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 where should people go to listen to your music and stuff like that?
1: Well, um, my website, dot eshacom I just redid it after many years and I'm kind of a bit of a crazy multitasker. So I've done so many things like film scoring, sounds for apps and sample packs, and it's a good portal to sort of, if you want to access everything, and then it's got links to all my other social media, if you're so inclined. Um, I'm definitely going to be pretty busy with music. I kind of got to this point where I was just tired of playing the labels game and I don't really fit people's formulas. So I was having a lot of trouble. Honestly, there's only a couple of labels like Moody and Gravitas that have really just supported me being myself and sometimes I want to just try releasing in different places so my goal from now till the end of the year is to release a song every single week on SoundCloud and then put EPs up on Spotify so I've got a couple of different EPs coming out over the next few weeks which you know if you access through my site you'll see all them and yeah the EDMP Discord I'm in there all the time like I said I'm the rave mom so I give production advice and just chat with people we talk about all kinds of random things eating mood exercise pretty much anything and that's discord.gg slash edmp I'm also a mod on the Reddit, so we're kind of just revamping to create this multi-platform online community. And hopefully, you know, we, I think we, we want to get you in to do a producer challenge and just continue, like, connecting people and to demystifying a lot of stuff about production. Because everything we've talked about and a lot of people being angry and a lot of people, you know, going and doing parties, I think a lot of it traces back to not having a creative outlet and not having a way to express yourself. So that is why that's such an important part of my life.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I also wanted to mention it's awesome that you you haven't like um, sort of changed what you're doing musically and stuff like that to fit more of a mold to just be on certain labels or play certain shows or whatever. It's like admirable that you've just sort of stuck to what it is that you want to do.
1: Thank you. I can't help it. I don't know. I have strange ideas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've kind of, I guess just because I, and I'm not saying you don't have this skill set, but I think just because I have the production skill set to just make whatever I want, um it's like easy for me to just be like all right dubstep's popular fuck it and just start making dubstep and like yeah. start playing dubstep shows and stuff like that um and the thing is is like because I just love the art of producing full stop it doesn't really matter what I produce I still enjoy it mm. and I also kind of like the challenge of just making other shit and whatnot but um yeah it's just awesome to see that you just stuck to the stuff that you want to do and regardless of um how difficult that might have been as a career choice uh it's yeah it's great to see that you just keep doing it
1: thank you thanks for having me
0: of course yeah have a good one you too hey thanks for listening to the mr bill podcast these episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by robert fumo of 303podpro.com you can also support the show get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash mr tunes and becoming a patron uh, please rate and review on itunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it and all the links to my various platforms are at mrbills thank you